0: If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and be turning to uh, Acts chapter number 19. Acts chapter 19 is where we'll be. And uh, glad to have our visitors with us this morning. we we'll have others that will be showing up as uh, as we go through here. But um, as you're finding your place, let's go ahead and we'll go to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessings on our services today. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings, and we do thank you for the day that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in church for those who have gathered out here. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, meet with us here today. I just pray that you would guide and direct our, our thoughts and our words, Lord, that the things that we say would be uh, helpful and accurate. And and Lord, I just pray asking, asking you, Lord, that you would be with those who are still on their way out today, be with those who are unable to be with us due to work and uh, sickness and different obligations. Lord, we pray, ask you that you would use this church to be a light in this community. Help us, Lord, as we study your word, that it would strengthen our faith, grow us in our walk with you, Lord. And Lord, I just pray if there's one here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would be saved. We thank you, and we do love you. And Lord, as we pray in Jesus' name, and amen. Okay, so where we've been at in Acts, we've been uh, following the, the birth and the growth of the early church in the first century And we've been seeing how uh, God has used different methods to uh, motivate his believers to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. And so in the section that we're at in Acts now, we've been following Paul's movements. He's on his uh, what's often called his second missionary journey. He has went um, throughout—actually, he's on his third missionary journey now, isn't he? getting ready to start it. But anyway, he has went throughout the region of Galatia on the first one. Uh, then on his second missionary journey, uh, he made it as far as over into Greece and throughout parts of Europe and started churches there, and he strengthened the ones that had already been started. And now as he's going back on his third journey, he's going to be uh, heading back into Ephesus, and he has faced many different things, and he has, uh, everywhere that he's went, he has left behind Fledgling churches, groups of believers that are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and enabled by the Holy Spirit. And God is growing His church. The Lord promised that He would build His church, and He was doing it. Uh, He's using mankind, and it's a, uh, an encouragement to us as we watch God using uh, feeble and fallible men to do mighty things. And it's not the power that we have, it's not the ability that we have, but it is God, it is His Holy Spirit, working in this world, working through us. And so we can be encouraged by that. And so where we were at last week is that uh, Paul left Corinth. He went back through and updated the church at uh, Jerusalem and at Antioch. And while he was gone, he left Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus. And they met up with a man by the name of Apollos. Apollos had only had a little bit of information. He had only... Uh, had the the message of John the Baptist as he went saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they uh, filled him in on what he was missing out on, how Jesus had come, how he had uh, came. He was the son of God. He lived a perfect and sinless life. Uh, he blood and died at the hands of sinful men, was buried, rose again the third day, uh, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And as they told Apollos this at uh kind of rounded off his knowledge, his theology. It brought together all of the, the missing spaces that he had in his uh, understanding of the Old Testament. As he had studied out, as he had learned, as he had been instructed in the Scriptures, the, the key piece that most of the Jews were missing out on was the fact that Jesus wasn't just coming uh, to reign, he was first coming to suffer. Before he would be the lion, he was going to be the lamb. And so, whenever they read through the Old Testament scriptures, when they read through the prophecies, uh, there was always uh, there was always a missing part for them. There was always something that didn't quite line up because they were looking for someone who would rule and reign, someone who would uh, throw off the oppression of Rome and of their enemies, and that would cause Israel to rise above, and that would rule and reign from Israel over all of the earth. That's what they were looking for. But then there's uh, places like Isaiah 53 where it talks about him being smitten and afflicted and uh, as a lamb dumb before he shears and all these things. And so as Aquila and Priscilla were talking to Apollos, they filled him in on the rest of the story and he believed and then he was able to go and proclaim the word of God with boldness to all of the Jews that were there and to the other folks that would come out and would listen. And he went on to... Uh, back to Corinth, where Paul had just came from, and they sent letters with him to Corinth, and he, I believe he ended up becoming the pastor of Corinth. We don't know for sure, but there's certain things that make it seem that way. But anyway, he went to Corinth and kind of filled in the gap where Paul had left a vacancy. Uh, Apollos came in and filled that gap, and we see this is the way that God works. He knows how to move hearts and to move men, even the fact that we are here today from many different countries, many different locations, God has a way of bringing people together to, uh, to do what suits him. Okay, He knows how to fit the body together just as God at the very beginning formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils, he became a living soul. God is also doing that with his church, which he likens, to, he likens it to a body, and so he is forming it as he sees fit. And so he's moving people around, he's changing around things, and through all of this, he is growing his church, okay? And so anyway, Paul has left Aquila and Priscilla there at Ephesus. They are uh, witnessing, they are sharing the gospel, they are uh, seeing people saved, and it is a work that's being done by lay people, by tent makers, by people who don't have an apostleship, don't have a vocational calling to ministry or anything, but they are bearing witness in the place that they're at, and they're an example of to each and every one of us that you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to be a missionary to be a witness. And so as they're there in uh, Paul's absence, people are being saved, a church is being formed, the ground is being prepared for Paul to come back. And what we're going to see today is that Paul comes back to Ephesus where they've been preparing the ground, and he's going to spend a long season here. And we've talked about already how uh, early on in his ministry. He would stay very short stints in different cities. People would be saved. He'd give them a very, uh, very uh, elementary foundation. And then he would move on to the next place, just jumping from place to place. But as his ministry has uh, advanced, we find that now he's spending longer times in less places and getting people rooted and grounded. Because the gospel isn't just about going and preaching and moving on, but he says to make disciples. He says teaching them to observe all things. And so we have to realize it's not just about seeing people saved, it's about seeing those who are saved growing onward. And this is what Paul's beginning to do. He's spending longer periods, he's getting uh, people rooted and grounded in the faith, he's seeing them grow, he's seeing their knowledge become... Uh, much more firm in the gospel so that they are able to minister to others he tells I believe it's Timothy later on that uh, Timothy is to teach others that are able to go on and teach others after him okay and so we see this uh, process going on within Christianity that it's not supposed to be confined to one place or to one person but that it is to be going forth uh, and spreading from person to person And so as I am preaching the word to you and you're understanding it, you're taking the knowledge that you are uh, receiving, and rather than just building it up and holding it up in your minds, you're taking that and then you're sharing it with other people, and then they're sharing it with other people. And we see that growing onward over and over until the the gospel is spread throughout this world, right? And if we study out the growth of the church, and I'll get into our text here in just a minute. If we study out the growth of the, the early church, we find that these people uh, in these large population centers like Ephesus and Corinth, uh, after they got saved, they started going out to the neighboring towns and villages, and churches began from this major church uh, in the big city, and they had a burden to go out to the surrounding areas, and then they went out, and it just continued to spread, okay? And that's what it is intended to be, is that we share the gospel with the next one. We share the gospel, and it continues going onward. And uh, so that's what we see in this. But I want to start out here in uh, Acts chapter number 19. And I want to go ahead and read the first seven verses here. It says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard, whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said unto him, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, that uh, believe on him, which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. And so as Paul is coming into this region of Ephesus, uh, he meets a group of disciples. And I'm not sure what it is that marked them out as being different. For one thing, they were Jews, and I'm assuming that as as Paul would come into different regions, especially Gentile regions, he would be looking out uh, people that he could relate to, people that he could uh, communicate with, speak to, and he would be looking out Jews specifically. He would go into the synagogues, right? Okay. He would go into the synagogues. He would go in amongst the Jews because he had a burden for the Jews. He said that uh, if it were possible that he would give his life so that his brethren could be saved, which it wasn't possible, it wasn't necessarily. Uh, Jesus gave his life so they could be saved, right? Right. Okay. And so anyway, whenever he came into this region, he found this group of men who were disciples, but they weren't disciples of Christ. They were disciples of John. Now, if we go back in our minds just a little bit and remember uh, the Gospels and how things came about, God sent John the Baptist as a forerunner, as a prophet to prepare the way. John came uh, forth preaching and proclaiming that the Messiah was coming, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right. And so as he was coming, he was challenging the people. He was challenging the Jews that for a long time, they had grown cold. They had grown apathetic. They weren't looking toward God. They were going through the motions and different things. And he says, you need to prepare your hearts and prepare your minds to receive the Messiah when he comes. And so people were hearing his message. They were ready for the Messiah to come. They had heard the stories, but they had grown indifferent to them because uh, basically, they were saying, we've heard that our entire lives. We've heard it for generations. It hasn't happened. I don't think it ever will happen. We can relate to that a little bit because we've been hearing about the Lord is coming back. The Lord is going to return. We've heard that all of our lives. And many people say, yeah, sure, we've heard that, but we're not really looking for it anymore. We've kind of we're going to do our own thing. We're going to live for the pleasures of this world. We're going to go out and do our jobs and have our families and our hobbies and all of these things and we've grown cold and disinterested in the things of God. And so much the same as things are today, things were that way for the Jews back in John's day. And so John was coming, and he was saying, get ready, prepare, because Jesus, because the Messiah is coming. And so this was a welcome thing to many of the Jews as they were oppressed by the Romans as they were occupied by the Romans, they said, Hey, we are ready for a savior. We're ready for someone to deliver us from those who are occupying us. Okay. And so their desire, what they were wanting, was physical deliverance. They were wanting help in this current world. They weren't necessarily, many of them, looking for spiritual deliverance and spiritual help. Okay. And I think that's a key in what we're going to see here today but there were multitudes that came out to John. There were multitudes that were baptized by John, and that was an indication that they believed his message, and they were ready for the one that was supposed to come. Okay? And so many different people came, but even after Jesus came, John baptized Jesus. He told his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus went about, people started following Jesus But yet, John still had disciples. And that's something that's always kind of bothered me, okay? That Jesus came on the scene, but people were still (laughs) choosing John over Jesus. They actually came to John and they said, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than you. And they were upset about it because Jesus was stealing John's thunder. (laughs) And John said, I must decrease, he must increase. And it even came to the place that providentially God allowed John to be arrested, put in prison, and ended up being uh, martyred for the faith because if he would have continued on the earth, people would have still continued following John rather than Jesus because they are looking for earthly deliverance, not looking for eternal and spiritual deliverance. And so whenever we find uh, these people here at Ephesus, apparently they have heard John's message probably from Apollos.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Remember, Apollos came to the area and he was preaching John's message. Yeah. He was coming saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He didn't know about Jesus yet. Yeah. Apparently, he was ready for a spiritual kingdom, but all those who were listening to him and following him said, Hey, that sounds good. We want someone who's going to come and fix our problems. Yes, we'll sign on to this. We will be baptized. And so, whenever Peter, or excuse me, whenever Paul comes, he meets these people, there's 12 men. And he knows that they're disciples of John. And he asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, we don't even know that there is such a thing as a Holy Spirit. And something interesting about that is it shows us how partial or how incomplete their belief is. Because one thing that John said, if you, uh, I won't turn there for the sake of time, but if you look in uh, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, John's message was there is one coming with or coming after me whose shoe latchet I'm not worthy to unloose. He is going to baptize you with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Okay, and so John's message. What Paul points out to them is that John's message was believe on the one that was coming after him. Believe on Jesus that was coming after. They weren't looking for anyone after Jesus. They weren't looking. Or excuse me, after John. They'd only heard part of the story. They'd only picked up on the parts that they had liked. They only believed uh, what they wanted to about John's message, and they had never been converted. They had never actually been saved, and they weren't sealed with the Holy Spirit. They weren't following after him. We don't know what it is that um, stood out to Paul whenever he met these men. They claimed, like I said, to be disciples, but Paul could, could kind of sense that there was something wrong. Right? They had no evidence that the Holy Spirit was indwelling them. And he said there's something wrong with this, and that's why he asked, Have you received the Holy Spirit? Now, there's a lot of misunderstanding about this passage. Okay? A lot of misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit, about Paul laying his hands on them, about them speaking in tongues and all these different things. But whenever Paul says, Have you received the Holy Spirit? He's not sensing any spiritual uh maturity in them. He's not seeing any sign of the Holy Spirit working within them. And so he's questioning, okay, if you say that you're a disciple, why isn't there any evidence to back it up? Mm-hmm. And so they said, we haven't even heard if there be a Holy Spirit. Okay. And he says, well, why were you baptized? He says, well, we were baptized because of the message of John. Mm-hmm. We haven't heard of Jesus. We haven't heard of the Holy Spirit. We haven't heard of the work that he's going to do. We just got caught up in the moment, we got caught up in the message, and we signed on, but we never truly believed, we never truly understood. And so that's whenever Peter preaches to them the truth, he preaches to them Jesus and what Jesus' kingdom means, and then he lays hands on them, and, and they receive the Holy Spirit, okay? And so a lot of people get tied up in this fact that whenever he laid hands on them, that they spake in tongues and they prophesied, and they put it out as if there's supposed to be some sort of a second blessing or that there's some way that after we get saved, then we need something else in order for the Holy Spirit to come in. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 that if you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, then you are none of His. That from the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit is inside of us and is sealing us and is living in us. Now, a lot of people get confused. There's a difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay? And what the filling of the Holy Spirit means, it doesn't mean that you speak in tongues. It doesn't mean you prophesy. It means that the Holy Spirit has control of you.
1: Right.
0: So at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells you. You have the Holy Spirit. In order to be filled with the Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit has you. Right. You see the difference? Yes.
1: Okay?
0: Okay. The indwelling means you have the Holy Spirit. The filling means he has you. Mm -hmm. And so we have a decision to make daily who's in charge, who's calling the shots, who's leading. And if we are submitting to the Holy Spirit, if we are allowing him to be in control of us, then we have the filling of the Holy Spirit. He is the one that has the steering wheel, if you will. He's the one that's at the reins. The Bible says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right. And what it means by that is as alcohol takes over your mind and your personality and it changes who you are and it changes the decisions you make and the way that you act, if you allow the Holy Spirit to have influence and have control over your life, it will change your uh, personality, your attitude, your actions, the way that you act mm-hmm. in a similar way as alcohol. Right. Uh, but also similar to alcohol, you have to continue your exposure to it in order for it to continue having its effect. See, if we are not continuing to walk with God, if we are not continuing to allow the Holy Spirit to lead, if we are not continuing to seek out His will and His way in our lives, we are going to drift away. He's going to have less impact and less, infa- uh, less effect on our lives,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we're going to revert back to our old ways of doing things, and we're going to allow the flesh and the old man to be in charge. It is a choice who we yield to. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's an illustration I heard on this and I wish I would have prepared and would have brought it, but but the illustration was if I was to take a a bottle of soda, say I had a, a bottle of Coke here, and I held it up, I asked you, what is this? And you'd say, it's Coke, right? Yeah. But what if I dumped all the Coke out and I held it up, what would you say I had?
1: Yeah.
0: Do yeah. it. A can. A can, a bottle, right? Yeah. And so you're going to you're going to decide what this is by what it's filled with, right? Yes. And so what it's filled with is going to determine its identity, yes. its character, yes. what it does. Yes. Okay? And it's the same way as whenever the Holy Spirit is filling us, we become identified with him, we begin to take on his character, we begin to be refined and changed, mm-hmm. right? We begin exhibiting the fruits of the spirit because we've allowed it to control us. All right. Okay? And so for the people who are seeking after extraordinary, miraculous, or uh, fantastic things as signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit and filling us, they're looking for the wrong things because what God, what God wants to do through His Holy Spirit is to change our nature, to change our direction, to change our will, not to make us roll around on the floor or run laps or speak in tongues. Okay? That is His desire for us. It wants to the Holy Spirit is seeking to glorify God and to transform us into his image,
1: Right.
0: not make us a carnival sideshow. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. But whenever we see this passage here, these men had a partial belief. They had an acquaintance with God and with uh, the truth of God's word. They didn't fully understand it yet. And so whenever they did understand it, Whenever they did believe, then they received the Holy Spirit. Right. Okay, there are many people in this world today that have a casual understanding of God, mm-hmm. have a casual understanding of Jesus and of the things of God. Many people know that Jesus was a man, that he was the Son of God, that he was born of a virgin in a manger. They know the Christmas story. They know the Annunciation of the angels. They know how he grew up. How. Uh, whenever he began his ministry, he did miracles, signs, and wonders. Had the disciples following him, they know about the loaves and the fishes, about the walking on the water. They know all of the stories. Yeah, they know that he was crucified, that he was buried, that he was risen again. They know these things, mm-hmm. but they have never believed on them to bring about salvation of their souls and forgiveness of their sins. They see Jesus as a distant figure, as a historical figure, as something unrelatable. They don't see it personal as Jesus came and he bled and he died for me. That the payment that he paid was so that my sins could be forgiven, that my soul could be saved, and that heaven could be my home. They don't see it as personal. And so, yes, they know all of these things, but they don't know Jesus. That's where these guys were. They knew the stories. They didn't know Jesus. Right. Okay, And like I said, there are so many people in this world today that's in the same place and they are going to go off into eternity, having never actually been saved with only a casual encounter with the truth of God's word. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And that's why it takes people like Apollos, like Aquila and Priscilla, like Paul and like the others that we're reading about here to step out and And to speak to them and say, yes, I know you believe these things. I know you believe that Jesus came and that he died, but did you know he died for you? Do you know why he came? And that we get to share the truth with them that God so loved this world that he came and died for them so that they can have everlasting life. Okay. Now we come down to this part where Paul lays his hands on them and they receive the Holy Ghost. And then there's signs and wonders that accompany it. So the question comes now, why did it happen this way? Is this the normal way? Is this the way it usually works? Whenever you got saved, no. did you have to wait for someone to come and lay hands on you for you to receive the Holy Spirit? No. No. In most of the places throughout Scripture, uh, this isn't the way that things go. Mm. People believe, and the Holy Spirit comes upon yes. them, and then they follow up with believer's baptism, Right. Yeah. Baptism is a sign that they believed It is them showing that I've turned from the old life to the new life, right? That they have made a decision, that they have repented, if you will. That is what the baptism is. But there are certain occasions in Scripture where things happen in a different order. We've talked about how Acts is a transitional book, that there's purposes and there's reasons behind this. And one of the important things that stands out in this is, is the presence of tongues. Okay? And does anyone know what the purpose of tongues was in Scripture? In Scripture? Mm Or just in general? Well, I guess it would be the same.
2: Okay. I will assume it's for communication.
0: Okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Okay, First Corinthians 14, verse 21, it says, In the law it is written, so this is in the Old Testament, okay? In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips, while I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not, but prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. And so in this, we find that Paul is telling the Corinthians, as they are currently using the gifts of the Spirit of things, that tongues was a sign that was prophesied in the Old Testament to the unbelieving Jews. The prophet told the Jews that God is going to cause foreign tongues, unknown tongues, to be spoke in their streets as a sign of judgment because of their unbelief. And whenever they see those things happening, they're going to know that judgment is upon them, is going to be a sign of warning to them. And so this says that tongues is for a sign of judgment upon the unbelieving. And so why is it happening at this occasion? We find there are several occasions that it happens. It happens on the day of Pentecost, right? They have crucified Jesus. They are rejecting him. They are refusing him. And after they have crucified him, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, and it shows whenever the the tongues are spoken in the streets of Jerusalem that God's judgment is coming upon Israel for rejecting him right we find it goes further than whenever the first well when the first uh, Samaritans and the first Gentiles believe the then tongues come upon them as well, showing that God is doing this work and showing a sign of judgment on the Jews that are refusing to believe as the gospel is going out to those who are half-Jew and those who are Gentiles. And so whenever we come to this, we're in Gentile territory in Ephesus. It's in the region of Galatia. Okay, We're in Gentile territory. There are Jews there. These are Jews that are uh, believing it as Jews that are speaking in tongues. But here's what's going on for them, and I don't want to wait too long in this. I don't want to stay here too long. But there are many Jews that believed John's message that a Messiah is coming, but either they hadn't heard of Jesus or they'd refused to believe on Jesus
1: right.
0: because it wasn't the sort of Messiah that they wanted. Yeah. Okay, and this is why many of the The Jews were rejecting Jesus. This is why they crucified Jesus is because he wasn't the Messiah they wanted. Right. They wanted someone to deliver them from Rome. They wanted someone who was going to be their uh, physical, earthly savior, not their spiritual, eternal savior. Okay. They were wanting delivered from Rome, not delivered from Satan and from sin. Okay. And so many people were rejecting Jesus at this time. And so whenever we come to this passage where these men were following John, but not following Jesus, there is a, a risk, shall I say, a danger of them missing the Messiah. There's a, a danger of them missing out on Jesus and rejecting him for the message of John. History tells us that there were many Jews who rejected Jesus but believed John, and even up into the 2nd and 3rd century, there were people who had formed a religion around John's teachings but had never become Christians, okay? And this is combating that early form of that. So whenever these disciples of John believed on Jesus, then the Apostle Paul Uh, laid hands on them, identifying with them, and so they were identifying with Paul, with his message, with his apostleship, right? And they received the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues, signifying to the unbelieving Jews that this was of God, and that if they didn't believe on the Jesus whom God sent, whom Paul was preaching, then judgment would come upon them. Mm -hmm. It was a warning to prevent this a heresy that was forming in this region from going even further. Okay, and like I said, there's historical uh, evidence that this actually was a an erroneous, a, a heretical sect that came about, and this was uh, God's uh, God's way of refuting it, God's way of challenging it, showing that. Uh, They weren't just to follow after John, but on the one that John pointed to.
1: Okay?
0: Everybody with me on that? Okay. And so anyway, we see here they had a a partial belief. They received the rest of the information. And whenever they believed, they were baptized, they received the Holy Spirit, and they followed after Christ. Mm -hmm. And this was the beginning of the—well, not a beginning. I guess they would have been united with the believers— that were with um, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, right? And so we come down to verse number eight. I won't get as far as I was hoping, but that's nothing new. (laughs) Okay, we come down to verse number eight, and it says, And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading uh, the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, But spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And so, Paul, as his manner was, is the way he normally did things, he went to the synagogue, and it says for three months' time. It took him a little while to kick him out. Usually it was three weeks. This time it was three months. And so anyway, for three months, he came into the synagogue and he was opening the scriptures. He was pouring through the Old Testament with them. He was reasoning and and proving to them that the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus. That all of these things point to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And many of the people were believing. Many people were being converted. Many people were being saved because Paul was showing in the word of God clearly that this was the one who was prophesied, the one that should come, that Jesus is the Son of God in flesh. Okay, And so many people were believing, but what we find with religion oftentimes is religion likes control, it likes power, and it doesn't like to let go of any of that. So as the religious leaders were seeing their people leave them and go to Paul, as they were seeing their hold on that region disappear, and even more so when they were seeing Gentiles brought in amongst them because they were a prejudiced lot, right? Mm -hmm. When they were seeing there was no longer they were their special separated people, but now they were a mixture of Jews and Gentiles believing on Christ Christ becoming one body and one church, the religious leaders didn't like that. Yeah. And so finally, after they began to rise against Paul and began disputing with him, and um, <clears throat> it says they believed not but spake evil of that way. By the way, whenever it talks about that way, it's talking about Christians before they were known as Christians. Mm-hmm. It was kind of derogatory, that way. <laughs> yeah. Those people, okay? Okay. <laughs> They spake evil of that way before the multitude, and he departed from them and separated the disciples. Mm-hmm. So as all of this was going on, and there was turmoil, there was chaos, there was all of this stuff happening, Paul says, find them. If you're not going to believe, if you're going to stand up and you're going to uh, scorn and mock and rail against us, then we're just going to separate from you. And so they do. And so they just they just moved down the street. They go to the school. There's a school of, of one Tyrannus. What a name, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Whatever his last name was, Rex. But anyway, <laughs> sorry, I could not help. But anyway, they went to the school of Tyrannus, and they had a a building, a place where they could meet together. And Paul used that opportunity for uh, two years' time to meet with the people, to teach them, to preach to. Uh, share the gospel, and it says that all of the people in Asia, now that's not talking about China and Japan and Taiwan and India, that's not talking about that, but that region of the Near East, throughout what we would call the Middle East right now, that the gospel went from Ephesus because it was a major port city. It was a place where all roads went through, all routes went through this area, through this region, and as people were coming through, they were coming in contact with Christians. Christians were sharing the word with them, and it was going out into all of the areas. They were taking it with them. Okay? And so it was going, it was spreading, it was going abroad. And Paul continued for a, uh, for two years preaching and teaching to all of those, and it says uh, that they heard of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So all these people were hearing the gospel. Okay. Because of the door that God had opened there. Right. And this was God's doing. This was God making this available. And it's it's amazing that he had two years, that Paul had two years here, and no one's tried to kill him yet. Yet. Yeah. Right? Right. Because isn't that how it worked every time he would come to Thessalonica, for instance? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't too long. They were plotting his death. Right. He left Thessalon- or Thessalonica and he went down to Berea. Mm-hmm. The, the-, the people from Thessalonica came down to Berea. They wanted to kill him there. Right? And so over and over there were people that were rising up against him. And so he comes and he's uh, two years in Corinth, not Corinth. He was in two years Corinth before. Now he's two years in Ephesus. And now there is a, a church. There is believers. There is the gospel going out into all of these different places because of the believers that's in that area. And that's the way that it's meant to be. The church is meant to be uh, a lighthouse, a uh, it's meant to be sending out hope to those who are around. It's meant to have an impact on the people around it. It's not meant to be confined to one place. And so they were having an effect on all that was around. Uh, I want I want to touch on this next section, and then we'll we'll end for today. But it says in verse number eleven, and God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the uh, brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. And the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out from went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, uh, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped upon them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known unto all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Okay? Honestly, this is a funny story in my mind. I mean, can you imagine this? I mean, maybe your imagination isn't what mine is. I I like to look at these stories and have them play out in my mind like a a tv show or movie i don't know but anyway as paul was preaching and teaching here it says that god gave him uh ability to do special miracles Mm -hmm. and if you see in your bible that word it says special it was unique it was for a person for a time okay paul was doing a work there he was doing a work in Ephesus. And God allowed that even uh, handkerchiefs and aprons that was taken from him could be carried abroad to other people. And because of the presence of that piece of cloth, it would drive out evil spirits and sicknesses. Okay, it was a special miracle for a time and place. There are those today who try to claim to have this power and try to have this ability. You might get a, uh, a... a letter in the in the post or something that'll say if you'll send me money i will send you this piece of cloth that i prayed over and it's going to like a good luck charm or rabbit's foot have you all ever received those does
1: that happen here i know it doesn't. I know
0: it happens in the states Is it, does it ever happen here you ever seen
1: that.
0: It? <laughs> okay <laughs> may not come in the post but there'll be those that come and say okay i will if you if you'll give to me then i will give you this cloth and you can take it and it'll you know almost like some sort of a um Superstition; it'll ward off bad things. Yeah. Right. And that's not what was going on here. This isn't a uh, endorsement of that sort of a ministry. But God was doing a special thing at that time to grow the early and infant church, yeah. to uh, to grow the ministry that Paul had there, and the effect that it was having on the region. Yeah. Okay. I guess in a way you could say that these early miracles and whatnot, if you look at a plant, whenever you first, whenever you first plant a plant, a flower, a vegetable, or something like that, you put extra care, extra fertilize uh, into that plant whenever you first plant it, right? It requires extra care. It requires extra nutrients, extra attention whenever it is first beginning so that it has the strength at the beginning and can grow strong and become a mighty plant. Right. That's kind of what's going on in the book of Acts As God is doing a lot of these things is he is getting a good root system, a good foundation for this church that he has began so that it can grow strong. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so anyway, this is a special miracle wrought by the hand of Paul. But whenever people were seeing this... They said, hey, this is pretty exciting stuff. We want in on it. Mm -hmm. And so in this first part that we saw, there was a a partial belief, but now they see this as a profitable belief. They say, if we can get on board with this, if we can use the name of Jesus like Paul does, then we can get people to follow us. Then we can have a ministry. Then we can profit off of this. And so it says that there were uh, vagabond Jews, there were exorcists, that said, hey, there's power in the name of Jesus, so we'll just sprinkle it over our incantations, and we will just use it like a, a magic word. We'll put it in our bag of tricks, if you will, without ever knowing Jesus, without really believing Jesus, without following Jesus. We're just going to tack his name onto what we're doing so that hopefully God will bless it. Okay? Do you see where this is going? This kind of thing still happens today. There are many people who use the name of Jesus just because they believe it will be profitable to them. There are many people who will just follow along or associate with forms of Christianity because they think that it is going to help them in their cause. Uh, There's lots of people who uh, only go to church whenever they think that uh, it's going to help them in their problems that they're having. Maybe whenever they're having issues at home, maybe when their finances are funny, maybe whenever their marriage isn't going so good, all of a sudden they say, okay, well, I'm going to become religious all of a sudden because I think it's going to fix my problems, because I think it's going to profit me. I'm going to become religious because I think that maybe it's going to give me favor amongst people that's around me. This happens a lot with politicians around the time of election, right? All of a sudden, every politician is extremely religious. They will have a pastor, a priest, or someone endorsing them. They'll put up pictures they have with the Pope or someone, right? Because look at how religious, look at how spiritual I am. And what they're doing is they're trying to profit off of Christ. They don't actually care about Christ. They don't care about his message. They don't care about who he is. But they want in on whatever it is that might profit them. And all around this world, there are people who don't know God, that don't care about God, but they are using him, they are using his church, they are using his people for their profit. Yeah. And it is a dangerous thing. What happens to these guys? It says that they come and they they try to cast out a demon. I don't advise anyone does this. Okay, <laughs> And so they come to this guy that's demon possessed, wild as an animal, and they say, we adjure you. By the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches. And the demon says, hey, I know Paul, I know Jesus, but who in the world are you? Wouldn't that be something to see? And it says, then the demon causes the man to leap upon these seven guys. This one man, demon possessed, overpowers the seven guys, beats them real good, and leaves them stripped naked, and they flee naked and wounded. Now, I hate to say this, but wouldn't it be great if a lot of these charlatans that we have today, these people who use the name of Christ for their own profit, wouldn't it be good if a few of them got beat up and wounded or naked? I'm not advocating violence. I'm saying if they would, if God would defend his name and his people and would allow judgment to become swift on them. Now, they will give an account. They will answer for the things that they have done. They will give an account for those things. But there are so many people today who are doing the same thing as what these men were doing, and they're just trying to profit off the name of Christ.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And one of these days, they will be reproved. They will be rebuked for it. One of these days, they will have to answer for the things that they have done. Okay. And so anyway, they they flee wounded and naked. And as a result of this, they saw, the people saw this happen and they said, this isn't something we want to play with. This isn't something to mess with. Okay? And it says that fear fell on all men and they glorified God. This is similar to the uh, occasion where uh, Ananias and Sapphira, remember the story of them? Mm -hmm. They wanted to profit from the name of Jesus. Jesus. They wanted to make it out as if they were giving a big donation to the church, and then they lied about it. You remember the story? Yes. And then they fell over dead. Why? Because God wanted their money? No, because they lied. They tried to profit off the name of Jesus. They fell over, right? And so this is what happened with these guys. Suddenly they didn't fall over dead. They were fleeing naked and wounded. Right. Okay? And so as a result, people said this is serious business. We don't want to play around with this Jesus isn't just a good luck charm. He's not just someone to leverage for our benefit. He's not a genie to give us our way. He's not some kind of concierge to to uh, bid, do our bidding and answer our requests. Instead, he is the son of God. He is powerful and he is to be respected. Right? And so the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified at that time. And it says, Many... That believe came and confessed and showed their deeds, and there was a great revival in that area. Now, I want to stop there for the sake of time, but uh, we'll continue on the rest of the chapter next week. Does anyone have any questions or any comments on what we've, what we've looked at this morning?
2: Praise the Lord. Yeah. I want to ask a question. Okay. Okay, so uh, if you're in a church, mm-hmm. in a particular country, maybe in your country, and you um, left the church for another country, mm-hmm. and the church has two groups. One is the, you were you are, you are a minister in the church in your country, mm-hmm. and there are two groups in there that they are running on WhatsApp page, mm-hmm. and one of the group is for the main minister's group. Mm-hmm. So when you left, because you changed your number, mm-hmm. you were no longer in that group. Mm-hmm when you came to another country, and they know that you have come to another country, mm-hmm. they put you in another minister, <coughs> same ministers group. Mm-hmm. You know there were two ministers group, mm-hmm. so they put you in another one that has to do with financial contributions. Mm-hmm. They didn't put your new number in the main minister group where you shared mm-hmm. They put you in another group where there are financial contributions. Mm-hmm. And um, yesterday you got a message that. We are contributing for the pastor's birthday. Mm-hmm. And uh, for example, Sister Essay has not brought a contribution. Brother Andrew has not brought his contribution. And since you came to this new country, none of these ministers have ever called you to say, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Is everything okay? What would you do? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't know if that's something I should answer publicly. (laughs) Okay. Um, I will answer carefully publicly. If you want to talk about it more later, we can, okay? But what we find as a scriptural example in Scripture, okay? We find an emphasis on local churches. We find an emphasis on giving where you're at, okay? It's not a matter of funneling all the money back to the home country or anything like that. Another thing is that it is always done willingly. It's never done by force. It's never done uh, in any way that uh, puts pressure on someone to give. There's no place in Scripture where Paul is calling out and saying, why haven't you given anything to me? Right. Okay? Okay? He even takes pains and great efforts to make sure whenever he is taking up collections for the poor, whenever he's taking up the collection to go to uh, Jerusalem, for instance, that there would be no collections whenever he came so that people wouldn't feel as if they were being pressured or forced to give. And so with all of it, it says God loves a cheerful giver, that we're not to give by restraint or by constraint. We're not to be Uh, contributing because we have to or feel like we're forced to or because we're guilted into it. And Paul took great pains to make sure that people knew that he wasn't profiting from them, that he wasn't pressuring them, but that they were giving because they wanted to out of the desire of their heart for the love of God, the love of his people, the love of his work. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so you see that over and over in scripture, but whenever we find uh, people who are putting pressure on finances, whatever they are. The Bible says one of the qualifications of a pastor is not greedy a filthy lucre. Yeah, that means un, un, uh, unjust financial gains. Whenever they're all about the money, they're not qualified to pastor. Okay? Thank you. Can I say
2: something else? Yes. Sorry, I'm taking some of our time. So as a believer, it happened to me, and it happened yesterday, So I was really pissed. I was pissed because since I traveled down here, none of these ministers have ever called me to Mm -hmm. say, how are you, or say a word of prayer. Mm -hmm. They were more particular about the gift for the pastor. The pastor spread there. So I said, what am I going to do now? So something said, talk to them. Mm -hmm. So for the first time, I... I opened the Bible and said, Holy Spirit, give me something to say. Mm-hmm. So I saw that I was facing Philippians. Mm-hmm. Philippians 2, something said, tell them this. Philippians 2, 2 to 4, I'm going to read that. He said, For fear my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and of one mind. Mm-hmm. Let nothing be done through strife of vain glory. Mm-hmm. I discovered that they were not particular about my welfare. Mm-hmm. They were not particular about my faith. Or if, I'm, if I started the church, they were particular about what I could bring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this was the appropriate. When I saw this, I was happy because I knew that the Holy Spirit has spoken mm-hmm. the right word to me. And I sent it to them. Now, they all, some of them started talking to me, not on the same WhatsApp page. Mm-hmm. They came individually to say, mm-hmm we are sorry, mm-hmm. forgive us, mm-hmm. we did wrong. Mm-hmm. But they were not bold to go into the WhatsApp page because if they do, maybe the pastor's wife will say, why are you doing that? You understand, though mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know. But somehow, they were not bold enough to say they were <clears> sorry on this WhatsApp page. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew what I did yesterday. So I'm just asking yeah. as a believer if what they did was right or if what I did was wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank well. you. You've got a principle in the Bible. That there's a, a good Bible word, communicate. Okay? Exactly, yeah. Communicate. We, uh, we usually uh, connect that word with uh, conversation, with talking with one another. But communicate is often used in the Bible uh, regarding giving, regarding uh, ministry and different things like that. And it's the idea of an exchange. Yeah. Whenever we communicate verbally, we are exchanging information. But whenever Paul uses the word communicate, he says you have communicated time and again in my need. Mm-hmm. And so this is the idea is Paul is giving to them, they're giving to him, and there is an exchange that takes place. And it goes both ways. Right.
2: Okay?
0: Thank you. Anything else? This is one reason I'm always very careful when it comes to the subject of money. Because there are too many people who are just after money.
1: Exactly
0: right. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go, to the Lord, in prayer. We'll take a short break. Uh, we'll we'll greet the our guests that's come in, the new, the other people that's arrived, and uh, coffee and whatnot, and then we'll get into our next service. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And we do thank you so much for the day that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for the time that we've had together, for the fellowship. We thank you for your word, for everyone who has gathered out here today. And I just pray that you meet with us today, that you guide and direct us, that you'd strengthen us and guide us encourage us. Lord, if there's one here that don't know you as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they would call upon you, that they would put their faith and trust in you uh, and have their sins forgiven and their eternity secured. We thank you so much for all that you do and all you want to do. And I just we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen.